This is the very first episode of season four. We're almost two years. At the end of the season in June, it'll have been two years that we've been doing this podcast. Oh my God. We need lives. (laughs) (laughs) We need to get out of the house. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, my name is Frankie Corona Gonzalez. If you're looking at the cover of our brand new season, I'm the one with brown hair. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I'm Jake Signs. I'm the gorgeous one. (laughs) so what did you do during the break i got covid (laughs) yay anybody who's anybody has covid literally yeah no that shit is running rampant it's running wild and um you're probably gonna get it (laughs) it's just it's just like statistically a fact at this point that you're most likely gonna get it it is what it is i will live to see another day Which is great. I'm glad you're here. Me too. (laughs) And what did you do over the break? Well, I celebrated Christmas, New Year's, but the highlight of my winter break from Fear the Talking Queers was going down to Southern California to see you and scream. We did. Oh my God. We had an in-person reunion. It was uh, just pure magic. It's just a day for the books. And if you're not a regular listener, you should know we don't live in the same area. I live in Northern California, practically in Woodsboro. And <laughs> yes. Jake lives in uh, Southern California, practically Hollywood. And yeah. so, very scream, very scream. We're like obsessed. Yeah, exactly. We're so obsessed we live in the places that they take place in. Oh my God, honestly, after we saw Scream together, we had these like mints. <laughs> oh yeah, we had some edibles. <laughs> well, we had them. We had them before the movie, and then we like sat down, and then when we stood up after the movie, it like came over us. Yeah, we're and- like, whoa! I think, I think these mints are just hitting. <laughs> yeah, and we started discussing the movie afterward, and I'm just staring at Jake, and he's bringing up all these points that I literally didn't realize what you were trying to say until today when I was making my notes oh, for this episode. Oh my god! I was like, that's what he meant. That's like, you know what? After seeing it the first time, there was a lot that I got wrong about our our discussion. I was like, oh, I was like, okay. because now I've seen the movie three times. <laughs> and so I was answering my own questions. Yes. In the second and third time that I watched it. I too have watched it three times, twice in the theater and once on bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. See, I watched it twice in a theater and once in at the drive-in. Lovely. Well, that's similar to bootleg. Yeah, it is. <laughs> there, was t- there was times it was like, I can't read any of the writing, like the text messages and stuff that come up. I mean, I'm glad I saw it already. 
and I'm proud to say that we saw it in a beautiful theater over yes. there in Orange County, a Dolby theater. So it sounded great. Oh, the yeah. chairs were shaking, shaking. Um, it was lovely, yeah, shaking, twerking. Yeah, dipping, popping, twerking, stopping. It was great to see everybody just geared up in their scream attire, their yeah. scream merch, as Ghostface. Yeah, he made an appearance. It was it was really beautiful. Really touching tribute (laughs) he gave before the showing. (laughs) We went on Thursday night, so like you knew that all the hardcore fans are gonna be there on a Thursday night. Yeah, Thursday night first showing. It was the people that were like wanting to see the movie without any spoilers. Yes, and we're happy to report that Scream had a successful weekend. It's a critical and commercial success. It is the first box office hit of the year. So we're so happy about that because it's one of our favorite franchises and I'm yes. sure this will eventually be one of our favorite movies. Yes, I can't wait for the life that it's going to have. I'm so happy that it is being recognized critically and financially. Like that is such such a little blessing. This is a testament to maybe what's to come, hopefully. I hope yeah. that this keeps going because as a Scream fan, no matter how bad a sequel is, I just want them. I want, I want this more. story to continue. I do yeah, too. more, more, more. More, more, more. How do you like it? How do you like it? More, more, more. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess we should just dive in because this is going to be a, quite a lengthy episode. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of Easter eggs. But oh, before yeah. we start, we need to mention this is a spoiler ass episode. Like, <laughs> it is. We are going to talk about it in depth. We're returning to our format that we always do where we dissect scene by scene so yes we're going to be talking about everything including who the killer is who dies who survives so if you haven't watched it yet yeah hold off until you see it without further ado here is scream this isn't funny amber would you like to play a game tara Scream, released in 2022. Written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. Directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette. Our movie begins in Woodsboro, California. We're introduced to Tara Carpenter, played by Jenna Ortega, who is home alone after texting her friend Amber Freeman, played by Mikey Madison, and ignoring her ringing landline. After the phone rings several more times, an annoyed Tara answers and the caller mysteriously asks for her mother, Christina. Tara explains she's away at a meeting, but after being suspicious of the caller, guesses the caller might know her mom from AA or NA. The caller begins to explain that Christina has talked about Tara and has mentioned her love of scary movies. The caller asks her what her favorite scary movie is, to which she responds, The Babadook, since she appreciates elevated, complex horror. The caller asks if she's ever seen Stab, but Tara calls it Super 90s. The caller, played once again by Roger L. Jackson, becomes sadistic, reminding her that the opening of Stab starts with a killer playing a game with a young girl alone at home, just like her. Frightened, she hangs up. Tara texts Amber about the call as her landline begins to ring again. Amber's number texts back informing Tara that the person texting her isn't Amber and tells her to answer the phone. Bitch. Amber's number sends her a video showing Amber alone in her room, unaware she's being watched by the killer. The killer explains that he's cloned Amber's phone. The caller forces Tara to answer stab trivia by threatening Amber's life. If she gets an answer wrong, he will kill Amber. 
The caller begins asking the questions while Tara Googles the answers on her phone. The final question is, who is the killer in Stab 1? Tara guesses Billy Loomis, but the killer corrects her by saying it was Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker, which will now result in Amber's death. Tara quickly tries leaving to save Amber, but when she opens her front door, Ghostface is there and he slashes her stomach. She closes the door on him and her security system, seemingly being controlled by Ghostface, begins to unlock the doors as she attempts to lock them on her phone. The phone rings again. When she answers, Ghostface asks if she thinks he made it into her house. Suddenly, Ghostface appears behind her. As she tries to fight back and get away, he throws her to the floor and stomps on her leg, breaking it. He stabs her multiple times, and as the knife swipes down one last time, the screen opens up to the title card, Scream. Oh my god, okay. All right, wow. What a familiar opening. (laughs) What a very familiar opening, but this is doing something a little bit differently that, this is what I was going to say that you brought up. These characters are making sort of different decisions than they normally would in the previous films. Sure. It's almost like they are aware that they should be making a smarter decision, so they do, but ultimately they suffer the same fate as the original movies. Yes, this is true. It's like, no, they, they sort of live in this like, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation, you know? And um, we get to a lot of that, especially when we get to, you know... Miss Mindy later on and you know her interactions with the characters like sort of warning them about what they need to be doing in order to survive but at the end of the day like whatever decision they make it's not going to work out it could go either way you know and we see that a lot in this opening with Miss Tara who does make some different choices than Drew did in her opening Mm -hmm. if if we want to kind of equate them but still she uh, still suffers mostly the same fate. As far as her performance, Jenna Ortega I think does a great job throughout the movie but really in this scene, just establishing her, I think when she was on the Drew Barrymore show, she told her that she studied her scene to get prepared for this because I mean they they pretty much are almost the same scene. And so um, I think she made a lot of choices that were very similar to Drew's as well like the the phone rings again and she jumps you know like yeah and you know there are these moments where i was like oh yeah drew does that in in the first one yeah and you know there's some really really neat things in here i mean like even down to the shots are really similar you know you can tell there's a lot of care that's been put into this movie the radio science team obviously took a lot of care in probably also studying the original to a t in order to make sure they got like some really iconic um, references in here so yeah even the the way it's shot is just super similar very similar and I know that in an interview they said that they were like how should we do this and they would literally just go back and re-watch scenes from the first four <laughs> movies and do what Wes they were like what would Wes do is what they would constantly yeah. say and so they did say that they re- made a lot of his shots and applied them to this movie and you can definitely see those I mean there were even some where I was like oh my god like you know the panning of this and like yeah. the way they come down from that. It's like the filmmaking is amazing. It's very West. It's so nice to know that they cared so much about pleasing the fans and, you know, especially people that know these movies like the back of their hand, like, you know, we do. And, um, yeah. So it, it's <laughs> nice to know that this movie was made literally with people like us in mind. Like, 
That is so exciting. Yeah. Like it is obviously very accessible to, to new people or people that may have like a like a passive knowledge of Scream, but like mm-hmm. for us who are the fandom, who are this movie is made so specifically for us. It's just it's so exciting. And it pokes fun at us, it like does everything. It does. And there are a lot of even just little lines and little things that you see that are like little gags at us, especially when you consider listening to our episodes over here at Fear the Talking Queers of all the screen movies. There are a lot of things that we mention or ask that this movie kind of answers. And so it's like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. I'm like, did they listen to Fear the Talking Queers? I can tell you exactly what one of them is. When in our Scream 4 episode, when we were like, okay, is Heather Graham playing an actress or is she playing Heather Graham? And, we, <laughs> yeah. and we're like, and we made a joke that we're like, hell, maybe we'll find out in Scream. And we 100% do because we find out like in this initial asking of the question that Heather Graham yeah. is like the answer to this question. Yes, so they are playing themselves. So, you know, we know Tori Spelling was Tori Spelling. Right. But were Luke Wilson and Heather Graham, were they themselves? And in this one, we get a full staff cast list, which is amazing. <laughs> we don't really get to see who played Randy, even though we get to, like, see some scenes later. But we don't see it on the cast list. But what we do get added <laughs> was, of course, we see a nice little picture of Jennifer, Miss Jennifer Jolie. Oh, um, Which is nice. A nice little reference to her because she's a fan fave. Oh, so, yes. And, but we get some more. We get Vince Vaughn as Stu. What? If we actually got to see some scenes of him playing Stu, that'd probably be really great. Actually. That'd be really great. Yeah, I'm sure. I wonder if it's like a Psycho 1998 reference or I don't know if they just... Probably. They're like, yeah, this could work. And we're just now finding out that Alicia Silverstone played fucking Tatum. And I think that's another question that we asked somewhere in our five Scream episodes that came prior to this. We're like, who do you think played Tatum and stab you know or who do you think that i think oh, yeah. we asked that question maybe we edited it out or not but i specifically remember us asking who we thought played Play these t- other characters in stab wow yeah and, and we got some answers I mean, this is great this is great this whole movie is glorified fan fiction because it isn't coming from kevin or wes technically so i mean and it is probably written and directed with like fandom in mind one of the things that we were going to talk about throughout this episode were the inconsistencies in talking about stab in scream 4 they're only watching stab 7 okay great so that's where it left off so in the past 11 years now they finally have a new stab movie coming out he says sydney was in every movie but the last one this is why they shoot themselves in the foot with all of this yeah they should not have put that line in there because then it makes no. the existence of Stab 8 not Scream 4. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Because, first of all, Jenny in Scream 4 says that Sydney threatened to sue if they kept using her story after the first three movies. Right. So, Stab 1 through 3 is the original trilogy of Scream. And then they made, you know, 4 or 5 Six, seven. Stab 7 was the last one that came out in 2011. Then we have Stab 8 coming out in 2021 or whenever this movie had come out. That means that there's no Stab version of, of Scream 4. But it can't be right because it's talked about. Yeah. Yes. So 
I just have a question for this because you know. Okay. All right. So we're introducing the new technology, right? The text messaging and everything. And in this section, knowing what we know about who the killers are, okay. I have a question about who is taking this video of Amber. It looks like it could have been pre-recorded, right? Yeah. But I'm like, did Richie take like a trip to Mode- or out of Modesto to Woodsboro to film her in the bushes? Like, who's doing I- this? think that's why they made Modesto so specific in this movie is that we learn that Sam is in Modesto because it's if you guys know California at all Woodsboro is technically Sonoma and Modesto is like you know it's just a very it's like maybe if what two three hours it's maybe a a two hour drive from Sonoma right maybe less okay and we do know that this does take place in Sonoma County in like that area because a little fun Easter egg for us at least was that the area code was accurate. They seven, all have seven. For all the phone numbers, we're they have 707, 707 area code, which is crazy because that's our area code for. Well, not mine anymore, but that was kind that's of fun. Right. I was like, oh my god, that okay. was fun. They're, they're I was like acknowledging 707, that it's seven oh seven in the theme movie theater. Yes, my phone number is still has obviously a seven oh seven area code. So I was super stoked. I'm like, I told you guys I live in Woodsboro. (laughs) (laughs) You do live so close. Like, so this attack scene, you know, this, she gets fucked up. Little Miss Tara. She, she gets it bad and she gets stabbed several times, stomach and the back break, breaking her leg. And yeah, one thing that I, that I've noticed the marketing for this movie, right? It was all all the clips were coming, the trailers, the whatever was coming out, and I think the marketing team really pulled a fast one on us, where they're oh, like, "Oh yeah, oh, there most of what you see is gonna be misdirection, and we know that the re- that the fans part of the fun of it is to dissect these trailers so they can figure it out, but you know." There's, you're not going to see it. don't try it. Yeah, but don't try it because you're not going to figure it out. But they totally misled us because it's all in there. It's all in there. It's all in there. They didn't change any text messages. They didn't change any screen grabs. Like everything is exactly how it was in the trailer. The joke is fully on us. you can figure out a lot from the trailer except for like the chrome face. But other than that, yes. Yeah. And I think though what's stellar about this is that in the original screen we have Drew Barrymore, you know, introduces a star and then she dies in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And in this one, they gave us, I mean, a huge chunk of the first trailer was Miss Jenna Ortega getting... Uh, what we thought was the Drew treatment in this where you're like, oh, she's going to die in the first 20 minutes and then yeah. she ends up living. So it was like the opposite, which I thought was also very um, clever. She's our first opener survivor. That's great because I it's love it. it has something unexpected. And I, I thought it was great. And I, yeah, exactly. So I guess you're right. Like they did misdirect us to a point, but it is very exciting that, you know, we had a character survive our opening that's never really happened. It's for a purpose, obviously. It's not like she escaped, but um, yeah. it, it is a, a new little thing that we haven't experienced before in any of the screams previously. But I think to bring it back to what we introduced first in this section was these characters are making smart decisions. Like, she calls the cops right away. And so yeah. I think that almost in a way that's what saved her, even though we find out that they didn't really have an intention of killing her completely right away um but she calls the cops and we hear them coming as you know he's starting to really go in on her so 
I, I will have to say, though, these cops in Woodsboro, I don't know if... I love Miss Judy Hicks, but I don't know how, how she's training know. these cops or what, but they love yeah. to take their goddamn time. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are slow in this movie. They are slow. I think this first um, attempted kill is great. Um, the broken leg, the stab through the hand felt very Olivia in Scream 4. What a great little reference. Yeah. Um, I will say that, and this may be a bold statement, but I think that this is probably the most vicious Ghostface has ever been. I think throughout the, this entire movie, I think Ghostface is very vicious throughout. The stabs are super fast, but oh, they're yeah. so <laughs> vicious. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, psh, 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 psh. it's like, oh my God, this feels like a fucking street stabbing, you know, where you gotta <laughs> get, just get the job done quick. It's like, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> or prison stabbing. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> with a shank. Yeah, it's like, that's what it yeah. feels like. But it is nice because I feel like it's like, it does give us like a new ghost face, you know, a new ghost face for the new decade. <laughs> he didn't feel as clumsy. He felt more vicious. The yeah. call seemed more sinister. Also, we got to call out that ghost face is like, don't forget. He's like, when he's like talking about the opening scene, he says something like, Oh, she plays a game. We have to remind you. We've seen the opening of Stab. Ghostface never played a game with Casey (laughs) in Stab. So we've seen the opening of Stab. Like, they have to consider the fact that that never happened. Right? Yeah. They're just like, like, whatever. They'll suspend their disbelief. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's there's something I'm going to bring up later when we get to it that's kind of similar to that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The staff conversation is really funny, but it did open kind of a can of worms for fans. Yeah. I'm like, yo. (laughs) I'm like, all right. Come on, guys. (laughs) Shall we move on? All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Meanwhile, in Modesto, California, Tara's sister Samantha, played by Melissa Barrera, sits outside her bowling alley job where she takes a few pills. She's then joined by her quirky co-worker and boyfriend, Richie, played by Jack Quaid. Son of Meg Ryan. <laughs> Just a great little yeah, who, full who, circle moment. Who the hell knew? Like, unfortunately, Sydney... Tori Spelling is playing you, but have no fear because Meg Ryan's son will be playing um, in Scream 5. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try to murder you in 25 years. So, Sam receives a call from Tara's friend, Wes Hicks, played by Dylan Minnette, who informs her of Tara's attack and that the killer was dressed as the infamous Ghostface. She decides to head home to Woodsboro and Richie insists on going with her. At Woodsboro High, Tara's friend group meets outside where they discuss Tara's attack. The group consists of Amber West, twins Mindy and Chad Meeks Martin. <laughs> Long ass names. I okay. know. Played by Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding, and Chad's girlfriend Liv, played by Sonia Amar. West, son of Sheriff Judy, insists that the friends stay armed in case any of them are attacked, but also not to trust anyone, even each other. The group then notices they are being watched by an older guy named Vince, played by Kyle Gallner, whom Liv had a previous summer fling with, and he's recently been stalking her social media. When Wes receives a text that Tara is awake, they all head to the hospital with the exception of Liv, who stays behind. On their way to Woodsboro, Sam is surprised to hear from Richie that he has never seen any of the eight Stab movies that have been released. She informs him that several of them are true stories based on the previous murders in Woodsboro, which all started with Billy and Stu. They arrive at the hospital where they are greeted by Tara's friends, whom Sam used to babysit. 
The overly protective Amber insists that Tara is tired and the friends disperse. But Tara asks Sams to stay the night as their mother is stuck at a conference in London and she doesn't want to be alone. At a local bar, the teens play pool and continue pointing fingers at each other while attempting to figure out motives, such as Wes's attraction to Tara. Staff fanatic Mindy insists that it could be any one of them, except Liv. She says she's too boring to be the killer. When Vince shows up attempting to whisk Liv away from Chad, the boys begin to square up until Vince pulls out a switchblade. The bartender swiftly kicks all of them out. Outside, Vince takes a piss behind the bar when suddenly his car starts. The headlights shine brightly on him. The car's radio loudly plays the song Red Right Hand. He thinks it's Chad and approaches the car yelling for him to get out. The car is empty. He turns the car off and Ghostface is revealed to be standing behind him and quickly stabs Vince in the neck. Vince falls to the floor as Ghostface finishes him off. All right. So we're introduced to Melissa Barrera playing Sam. Um, Okay, I'm just going to say this. I'm a huge fan of, of Melissa. I think she's great. I loved her in In the Heights. I loved her in Viva. We are huge stands yes. over here of Miss Melissa. Yes. I think the character of Sam has all the right stuff to replace Sydney because ultimately it's where they're going with this. Right. She has fucked up parents. She's strong and it keeps it within the Scream family. Like she's directly related to a legacy character. So it's a fun, you know, little replacement for her. Right. A lot of fans are not approving of her as the new face of the franchise. Yeah, they are. It is divided. It's very strange. It's divided. A lot of people are saying that it was her acting. What? One review even called her performance wooden. So, what? Okay. Yes. Okay. So look, look, look. I will say her performance comes off a little light. And she's sort of paled in mm. comparison to Jenna. And not to compare the two, but there was an imbalance in their scenes together. I think that Sam is a lot more complex than Tara, and even more complex than Scream 1 Sydney. Yeah. Um, Jenna feels more grounded and raw with her emotions, but Melissa is playing a more quiet strength until she flips at the end. I think she's great in the finale. Yeah. But you kind of think about what she's dealing with. Drugs, psychosis, family trauma. Um, sure, it's like a heavy, it's a heavy role. It's a heavy role. It's a heavy role. Um, this is something that her character has been living with. She's sort of living as like a Scream 3 Sydney in a way. Yeah. And so we're not being introduced to a fresh face experiencing trauma for the first exactly. time. And that's what, like, it's definitely not the Sydney story retold. Like they are in completely no. different places when we meet these characters. Yes. You know, Miss she has, Sydney has a little bit of trauma when we first meet her, obviously, because her mother, her mother's murder, but she's still Mm -hmm. sort of living like as a normal teenager at this point sam is older she's had a lot of issues of her own she's yeah escaped the town and yeah yeah, so i see what you're saying i just feel that maybe she didn't go as deep as she could have in her portrayal i think sometimes she does feel a little i don't even know what the word is for it fluffy like she seems Mm. Like, she's not completely going beneath the surface. I would honestly equate it maybe more to the writing. I don't know if they give... I think they introduce the ideas of why her character is complex, but I don't know if they completely wrote her with enough enough substance. Or, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like they didn't give her the the opportunities because there's so much going on in this movie, obviously. And it's already two hours long. You know, when they introduce a character that has so much... Uh, 
yeah, like we said, complexity and um, you know a lot of shit going on. She she's not given enough time amongst the entire cast they have to get to to really dive into these things. We have to keep the story going. We have to keep the story, you know, onto the next exactly. kills. We need to get onto the ne- these other characters, and so it's hard to say. And I put that I I put that in my notes. I put I think it would have read better had they written her with more disturbance and grit sure. a little more girl interrupted and not to, and not to say that they're you know the same character but they go through a lot of similar experiences i think if they would have made her more like juliet lewis and yellow jackets it would have oh, served yeah. the character well but i don't think she had much to work with as far as like dialogue and moments where we could see her sort of just going right. through it mentally yes and i do think that it they she's not the the person I would think of when I think of somebody who's been like addicted to drugs and has been a, de- <laughs> she's a delinquent. Gorgeous, she's like this all. stunning, like beautiful girl with this <laughs> b- gorgeous blowout with a banging <laughs> Jim Bod. Who, yeah. you know, I mean, she definitely fits the roles I've seen her in other movies better than this one. But, but you know what? I'm glad she's here. I'm glad she's in this franchise because I'm a fan and. And as somebody who's uh, part of the Latinx, you know, community, I'm like, seeing her and Jenna Ortega being cast in this movie alone, I was like, oh my god, I'm yeah. living. So I'm, I'm excited that there are potentially more sequels coming, and that she'll get to know this character more, and I'm excited to see what she'll do with it. Me too. Agree. Agreed. I think that hopefully with us going forward with her you know fingers crossed i think that hopefully they'll like take this little criticism that's been you know thrown out there since obviously they care a lot about the fandom to you know really expand on her character give us more and i know melissa can do it it's not i don't think it's her i mean i've seen her give some great fucking acting on vida like if you watch her like she's a great actress she's great she's a fucking great actress and you know, I so I I can't fully say that I think it's all only on her. You know, I don't think it is. This person has been through the ringer, so like, make their vocabulary, make their make their dialogue reflect that. And I yeah. don't think it totally does. So I don't think it's just her. I did think the dialogue for her character specifically is a little too fluffy. Right. Maybe the the problem was that they tried to create a completely complex character, like this like tortured character. But then they didn't make her tortured, really. She's yeah. she's kind of normal. She's normal. Exactly. She's normal. She's not really a reflection of what they're saying she is. Yeah, so it's like they're telling us that she's these things, but then th- what the character that they are portraying as like the people writing and directing this movie isn't that. I think it would have fared better had Tara been sort of the focus character and hmm. Sam still be as important as she is, but not be the likable one maybe be sort of like a bitch you know because that's what this character i would expect this character to be like at this point a bitch or she i i liked what you said about juliette lewis and yellow jackets like that really she's still going through it she's you know she just seems like she's been through some struggle you know but she's yeah but she's still a likable character yeah yeah, so i'm like where's the I think they needed to find their footing. So hopefully they will uh, eventually. But I'm, like, <laughs> wait, like I said, I'm still such a fan of Melissa Barrera. Like, I'm so happy oh, she's yes. here. 
And I'm so happy she's I, in this. Yeah, and I and honestly, I love Sam. I think she's a great character, and I'm you know, yeah, she needs work. She needs work. They can work on <laughs> the character work, yeah. that they're trying to have lead this new franchise, which is fine. Totally. That's a. I think that is a valid criticism to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is one of the shots we talked about with being so special about. Um, so close to Wes Craven's original masterpiece is this shot of the flags and then What'd you, call you hear me? the uh, <laughs> yeah exactly you flag <laughs> the flags and the wind <laughs> yes um, the, and then you know you hear people the, the speakers in the background telling people to be careful and watch out and they pan down from these flags right onto the kids having this discussion about Tara's attack and I think that the conversation these characters have feels better than the last couple of films. I think yeah. the dialogue amongst the kids in this has been the best dialogue probably oh. in the franchise. Oh, I think it's so good. And it only gets better as the movie goes on. Like, and I think, you know, yeah, it's like kind of funny that they like immediately go into like accusing each other or suspicious of each other before they know the facts. But, mm-hmm. you know, we got to get to the movie part of the movie. So, um yeah. And I like that. I like that they didn't spend yeah. too too much time sitting around comparing movies and bringing up this and that. It's like, um, yeah. well, one of us is probably the killer, and I think that it would be you because of this. Well, you have bruises on your arms, so what's that about? You know, so it's like <laughs> this distrust amongst them is, like, really funny. Yeah, and then we have, like, you know, I like these new characters. I think they're cute. Uh, you know, I think we, and we have, like, kind of interesting archetypes, like some familiar but also some new ones like Wes's character I guess he's like he's like an overprotect or what's the word a little more paranoid a little more paranoid I think his mother has instilled a lot of fear in him about like how to be careful and what to do in the case of an emergency yeah Um, so he's sort of like a goody two-shoes in a way yeah, he but is. elevated because his mom's the sheriff. So yes, exactly. That's then, nice. And then Amber, we have her as like Tara's overprotective friend. Yeah. Well, I think early rumors were saying that they were like lesbian in a lesbian I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, don't I guess that's so. not true. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing that really alludes to them being lesbians, just friends. Yeah. And we find out why Amber's so overprotective. I mean, she's kind of following every move that Tara makes yeah. to make this you know, movie. Um, and then we have Mindy and Chad, which is the niece and nephew of Randy. Of Randy. And Mindy is way more the Randy yeah. um, type archetype that you're talking yeah. about. Chad is more of like the jock, which I don't know that we've ever particularly seen in Scream. We've never had a jock character. Steve! Oh, you're right. You're of course. Right. <laughs> Letterman. Letterman jacket. Steven yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And then we have Liv, the hot girl, who um, is played by Miss Sonia Mar. And I think this cast is great. I think they definitely make up for the shortcomings of Scream Four. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because Scream Four had a similar concept to this movie, and I just think this cast is a lot better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, yeah, I really like them. Even the characters that are, you know, not given soup, a lot of screen time. I still like them. I like the little things that they have about them that make them stand out. Like Wes's relationship with, with Judy and his mom and like seeing that is like kind of cute. And then like mm-hmm. Miss Sonia, like she doesn't get a lot, but I really like her character for some reason. She's like the one I'm like, oh man, I wish we would have gotten more of her. They all have some really funny moments. Yeah. Um, but yes, you know, you have to lose some to gain some. So 
Miss right. Liv got a little bit of the short end of the stick she as far did. as screen time. But she did. But hey, do you know what? For her first movie role ever, I'm sure she's very proud of of what she. I mean, I would be stoked to have even be. this much of the movie. Yeah. She was way better than Miss um, Mariel Jaffe. Miss <laughs> Mariel Jaffe is Olivia. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would definitely put put Liv way above her. Mindy makes a jab at Miss Liv and says that she's too boring to be the killer. But I actually think that would be kind of a welcome twist because the hot girl has never been the killer. That would have been uh, that would have been great. There are some moments where Liv has a few you know little things that I'm like, yeah. is she the killer? So. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that'd be a boring... Cho- I mean, maybe that she's boring, but I don't think it's a boring choice for her to be the killer. So, anyway. No, I think that'd be kind of exciting. Okay, initially when I saw this, I was like, they did a good job with recreating Woodsboro. After seeing it now for the third time, this does not look like Woodsboro. This is me. not... This is New England. This is some <laughs> colonial town. East Coast. And because it was filmed in North Carolina, that makes sense. Yeah. But it, it doesn't even feel like the West Coast. <laughs> it so doesn't. Like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> like, this does not, not look it. like Woodsboro. It's like Deputy Judy lives in the White House. Like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know who this Christina woman is, <laughs> but she is a terrible mother. Yeah, Christina Carpenter, what the fuck? Where is she? She's stuck in London. It's like your child was stabbed. Yeah, your st- your child was stabbed like a lot. I mean, I guess she's a drunk. I guess she doesn't care about her kids. I don't know. Is that what we're implying? <laughs> I guess, you know, since her family fell apart, you know, we'll get into it. But I guess since then. Okay, I have a question now. Okay. Who is, well, we talked about it. Who is the fuck is Christina? Who the fuck is Christina Carpenter? I was reading an article online that somebody wrote that said they're hoping one of the cheerleader, the cheerleader or her friend from the bathroom or yes. her mom. But I'm like, but no, it's going to definitely have to be somebody uh, Latina, right? Okay. so Not that blonde bitch. But I have a question. If she shows up in the sequel, who should play her? Ooh, um, Selma Hayek. <laughs> Selma Hayek, <laughs> of course, the right age bracket, right? Um, no, <laughs> you know who I thought? Oh God, who? Rosario Dawson. She's too young. No, she's not. She was seventeen in nineteen ninety six. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think she'd be great. She would be great because you ever see that movie where she plays Vanessa Hudgens' mom and she's a crackhead? <laughs> Can no. you imagine her applying? You've never seen that? No. Is Vanessa Hudgens? Okay. No. She did a great job in that movie. So I can see her playing like a drunk, like a drunken bitch who doesn't like her kids. I can see her playing that. So I would like to see her in the sequel, maybe getting killed or something. Um, Okay. So Vince, what a creep. Okay. He's older, obviously, because there's no way Kyle Gallner is playing anything close to a high school age. He's been in high school for the past decade. Yeah. Give me a break. Little Scream Queen, though. We love that. Oh, yeah. Jennifer's Body. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, totally. But he's a creep. And, you know, when he runs into them later on, he says to Liv, like, you want a real drink, Liv? You're going to keep sitting at this kid's table. It's like, she is a kid. Yeah. Also, how the (laughs) heck are all these kids in this bar? What the hell are they doing? I was thinking that, too. I know. They must do, like, this 18 and over (laughs) thing. 18? You think all of them are 18? There's no way that every single one of them is 18. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's no way in hell <laughs> like they would 16, be in there. 16, Maybe it's one of those places bar? where you can go in, but you can't sit at the bar. You know what I'm talking about? It should have been a, like a bowling alley. You know, like a casino where you can't go on the carpet. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to stay on the... <laughs> the Woodsboro <laughs> Casino. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, that bartender was right for kicking all of them out. Not because they're starting a bar fight, but because they're fucking underage. <laughs> 
Yeah. She's like, hey, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get the fuck out of my fucking bar, you little snot-nosed brat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had enough of your shit. <laughs> Coming in here, terrorizing the, the citizens of Woodsboro. Spilling sodas on my pool table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's actually how Kyle Gallner talks with this movie. Yeah, like, where did his accent come from? Fuck this bar. Okay, we have the return of Red Right Hand. Oh my gosh, this is actually so exciting. Okay, this is where I can tell that James Vanderbilt wrote this scene. Because James Vanderbilt wrote Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal and Mark Ruffalo, which I thought is a fantastic true crime movie. It's actually one that we've referenced in Scream 2. Right. Talking about how do you turn a true crime into a slasher movie. And I'm like, I think it would be like Zodiac more than um, Stab. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But... I, I can tell that he wrote this scene because it feels like it could fit into the Zodiac movie. It was great. I really loved this scene. I loved hearing Red Right Hand play over the murder. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. It kind of gave me chills. I was like, ooh, oh my God, Red Right Hand. You know, it was absent from Scream 4. It's like such a welcome uh, addition to this movie, especially because the fans know that this is the song of yes. the Scream franchise. So. And there were so many moments where we looked at each other, and this is yeah. one of them, where it was like, it started playing, we're like... <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> yes. My only complaint about this scene is that the kill is kind of swift. A little jab to the neck, and then I was like, oh. The fact that he's basically the first person dying in this movie, yeah. actually... I mean, I hate to sound like this or say this sentence, but I wanted to see him die. Yeah. Like, like I wanted to see die. the life leave his his um, body. I wish they would have gone a little bit further just because he is the first actual one. Like, I know they went pretty far with Tara, but she lived. Yeah. So if you're going to kill somebody off, do it all the way. Exactly. But the stab is vicious because it's a real quick one, two. Yeah. But then I'm, I was also confused because then we have Sam waking up. I know we're going to get there, but like she wakes up and I was like, oh, does she dream that? I was like, oh no, what are we getting into here? I was like, is this some sci- like psychic connection, Halloween five, wow. last night in Soho shit? I was like, what is happening? But I'm assuming that's on purpose. Like it's supposed to sort of be a misdirection. Yes. I almost feel like in a way in this next scene, they were trying to make us be suspicious that Sam could be the killer. Oh yeah. Perhaps. I was like convinced. I was like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, so let's get into it. Back at the hospital, Sam wakes from a nap and finds Richie watching Stab on Netflix. Sam leaves to take some more pills in the hospital's break room. Suddenly, an apparition of Billy Loomis appears in the mirror standing behind her. Billy tells Sam her antipsychotics aren't working as well as they used to. He also says she can't run from who she is and asks when she'll tell Tara why this is all happening. Billy's ghost disappears when Sam's phone rings. She answers it and it's the killer taunting her about knowing her family's secret. He also reveals that he hurt Tara just enough to lure Sam back to Woodsboro. Sam challenges him to come and get her and suddenly Ghostface appears. Sam fights him off and flees the room. Ghostface gets away. Sheriff Judy Hicks, played by Marley Shelton, questions Sam about her attack. The killer's call once again came from Amber's phone. Richie suggests Amber's the killer, but she was at the police station with the other kids being questioned about Vince's murder. Judy pulls Sam aside and reveals she has a sordid past with Sam, as she was a delinquent in her late teens before fleeing Woodsboro five years earlier. 
Sheriff Judy suggests Sam leave town. Sam returns to Tara's room and asks Richie and Amber to step out. Sam recalls their father leaving their mother and explains it was because when Sam was 13, she came across her mother's old high school diaries in their attic. Because her parents had Sam while she was still in high school, she started reading the diaries to learn more about their romance. However, she soon found out her mother had a relationship with another boy and that he is actually her real father. When Sam confronted her mother, her dad overheard and walked out on them. Their mother never really forgave Sam, which resulted in her becoming distant from Tara, addicted to drugs, and ultimately leaving town. She then reveals the hardest part, aside from ruining her family, was realizing that her real dad was Billy motherfucking Loomis. Tara becomes furious with Sam, not telling her sooner, leaving her five years and choosing to drop that bomb on her while she's in recovery? She yells at her to leave. Sam rushes out of the room, running into Richie, who overheard their conversation. He consoles her and sweetly insists on staying by her side. Since the police won't help, Sam says the next plan of action is to talk to an expert. Okay, so... Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Billy Ghost Gruff. (laughs) Billy Ghost. Billy's Ghost Gruff. Uh, (laughs) I will say, this is actually very clever because... In Scream 1, Billy says to Sydney, she's talking about her trauma with Maureen. Right. And he says, it's like Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs and she keeps having flashbacks of her dead father. Right. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah. Okay. So it's tying into like the mythos, the, the you know. Yeah, the, the things that Billy like incepted into our minds. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, Billy's ghost. Do we love it or do we hate it? I'm not 100% mad at it. I get it. I think it's a good device. However, I think I would have preferred if he did not speak. Okay. Yes. So, okay. Um, I was reading this Entertainment Weekly article and they said that they didn't hate it, but they said they would have preferred if they would have been more like flashy visions and just his voice echoing in her head to make her feel more crazy. Yes. Agreed. I think that the result of this is that she has psychotic vision. Like, she is on antipsychotic, so obviously these visions are purely from her own imagination. Yeah. Her fighting these demons that she thinks may lie within her from him being her father. Yeah. So it is, it would have served the audience better, I think, to just get these flashy visions of him with his voice. I think, though, seeing him, like, clear as day, like all the other characters, and talking with this, like, filter over him. It was weird. (laughs) It was was a weird choice. And and I feel like that first bit of dialogue that he has with her, like, you know, you know, tell her, when are you going to tell her the secret or whatever? I feel like that gave away immediately what the twist was. I mean, not, not that it's like a huge twist, but I went, oh, she's his daughter. Well, first of all, I didn't hear any of that because when she first stood up and saw him in the mirror... I was so taken aback <laughs> yes. that I I couldn't even hear what they were saying because I was still trying to wrap my mind around what I was saying. I was like, what is this? Like, oh my God. We were like grabbing each other like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what is happening? But it also sort of felt like a reference to Scream 3 when Sydney sees Maureen, <laughs> which is the cause of her drama, you know? <laughs> yes, but we also have established that that's like one of the most ridiculous scenes in the entire franchise. It, it is, it is. I think I love this, but I wish they would have done it differently. I do too. I think that maybe if she just saw flashes of him, what you said too, just like 
hearing his voice as opposed to like fully watching him speak to us. It was like weird. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. But I I sort of like the tie into Screen 3 that it wasn't like Screen 3 is the one with the ghost. It's like, okay, well, Screen 5 is too. <laughs> <laughs> And then it ties into some dialogue that Billy has said in the past. I think, I think I mixed on it, yeah. but I, yes, I think that if they would have presented it differently, it would have been an easier pill to swallow. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. It was, yeah. Good idea. Interesting execution. Miss Marley is back as Miss Judy. Miss Marley. We love her. We love her. We love her. This perform- her performance as Judy is. It's great. I think I like her performance better in this one. Really? I think that yeah. she's she's definitely more realized and she's leaning into the the silliness that is the character of Judy. Yes, she's a little more assertive as the sheriff. Yeah. And Marley's making some great choices. Like after she tells Sam to leave town, we both laughed at each other because the way she marches down the hallway. Yes. Because you we had just, you know, finished recording Scream 4 and you talked about her mannerisms and her, yes. the way she presents things. You yes. know? She wants to be part of the investigation, Sheriff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so those choices were great and they're very present here. And I wish there was a little more time with Judy, but it's fine. I think what we get is great. I know. Yeah. I wish there was a little more Judy, but um, it's exciting because, you know, I, I, you know, I was excited seeing like pictures of her on the red carpet with like Courtney Nev and David and people still seeing her as like a legacy character I kind of thought that was really sweet totally I was like oh yeah. I was like you know she's only a part of Scream 4 but I mean I think that I think there is something about the character of Judy that people have come to really enjoy well whether they think it, she's bizarre or weird or whatever it's just she's still part of it and she's still a character that has survived and yeah you know she's a legacy character so and she was sort of a hero in Scream 4 so she was yeah we we love her and I think that we don't get as much time with her and a lot of the other characters because we do get a lot of Sam and Tara, which I think is yeah. great because we do have to sort of establish them as our new leads because they potentially are going to be the face of the franchise moving forward. I do think that Jenna and Melissa do play very well off of each other. I think the family drama, yeah. as well as the other plot points, make this an emotional story and it feels very similar to Scream 1. And we talked about how Scream 2 has more drama and emotion as well. Yeah. But this feels more grounded like the first movie. Right. Because once we get to like the motive of Scream 1 when Billy starts to release all this information that Maureen slept with his dad and blah 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 it's like it gets really emotional and I think that they have these scenes together that feel very similar to that. Right exactly we're we're like dissecting the sins of the past you know sins of our parents and that's very similar and and it, it is a good way to make a parallel between Sam and Billy is that both of them have had these, like, parental issues of, you know, lying parents and parents who are more human than, you know, than teenagers usually see their parents. Because it brings the movie down to something real, real, which is also what Scream 1 did. It's like, it had comedy, it had humor, it had these over-the-top kills, but then, at the end of the day, it really brought it back down to a story that feels very real for a lot of people. Exactly. I do want to say, too, they're giving back a lot of power to Billy. There's so much conversation about him, the fact that his (laughs) daughter is the main character. And we talked about on Scream 3 how Roman's trajectory sort of took away from Billy's legacy, but this is really strengthening it back up. It's really strengthening it back up. However, I do feel like they are completely just ignoring that part of the scream mythos 
that this uh, supposedly all originated with Roman. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Because later on, later on, and I was going to mention it later, but now that we're here, um, there's that Mm -hmm. scene later on where uh, Sydney and Gail are in the car. Gail's like, oh, you know, I feel like this is all my fault because of the book. And then Sydney's like, no, it's not. This is because of Billy Loomis. And it's like, but it's not, right? Like, Billy Loomis was a pawn, supposedly, in the grand scheme of things when it came to Roman's plan. I think it's intentional because we are not the only people to have said that Roman takes away from what the first movie establishes. And that Billy was such a great first killer to this. Billy and Stu, but Billy really, because he was really the mastermind behind that first movie. So I think people were upset when Scream 3 came out. Like, not only was it the worst film in the franchise, but it also took away from the best film in the franchise. So it's like, yeah, I do think it was intentional so that people like us were pleased. Yeah, absolutely. Even though they are ignoring some part of it, it still feels right. Right. Yeah. I mean, but I do think it's, I mean, I do like it, but also I'm like, no matter what, they're all still canon. So it, it, it is kind of frustrating to me. I'm like, oh man, like. We're just ignoring the importance of Scream 3. Is it super important? No, but it's like, it is in a sense. Also, I don't know. And it just sort of, I get it. I get it because we want to actively erase Scream 3's mythos from our mind. We want it, you know, we don't like what it did. And we have such strong reverence for Scream and Billy and, you know, Stu and all that. So I get it. Yeah. It just, you know. Oh, I, I wanted to bring up that I do think it's uh, the scene but where uh, Richie and Amber are in the hospital room with them. I thought that was really fun. Like, knowing what I know now. Like, I, I'm starting to put that oh, yes. in my notes. Like, Quicken, K-W-I-K-N, knowing what I know now. Um, <laughs> like, having, like, Richie and Amber kind of accuse each other, knowing full well that their asses are responsible for this. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, pretending they don't know each other. and Yeah, it's like, wow, they, they are giving a performance right here. <laughs> All right, so let's move on. Sam and Richie visit a disheveled, reclusive Dewey Riley, once again, played by David Arquette. He has been in a bad place ever since his divorce from Gail Weathers. However, he watches her morning show every day. Sam informs Dewey of the attacks. Right away, Dewey breaks down some key rules to surviving a stab movie. Rule number one, never trust the love interest. Dewey asks Sam to be skeptical of Richie. Rule number two, the killer's motive is always connected to something in the past, Sam being Billy's daughter. Rule number three, the victims have a friend group that the killer is a part of, so all of Tara's friends are suspects. Sam asks Dewey to help them find the killer, but Dewey swiftly kicks them out of his house. However, he decides to inform Sidney Prescott, once again played by Nev Campbell. Dewey calls Sidney while she takes one of her kids for a jog in their stroller. He catches up with her asking how her kids and husband Mark are doing. With the pleasantries out of the way, Dewey reveals a new ghostface killer has descended on Woodsboro and asks if she has a gun. But she assures him she's Sidney fucking Prescott, of course she has a gun. Dewey warns her to stay away from Woodsboro. Right after his phone call with Sydney, he texts Gail that a new killer is in Woodsboro and to stay away. He stops himself from texting that he still loves her. Sam decides they need to rally up Tara's friends and goes with Richie to meet them at the Meeks Martin household. 
As they arrive, a cleaned-up Dewey meets them, telling him that he will assist them in their investigation. Inside the house, we learn Randy was Mindy and Chad's uncle, as their mother is Miss Martha Meeks, played by Heather Matarazzo. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the cameos. Quirky as hell. She's exactly the same. She's like, ooh, suspects. Have fun, guys. I'm like, your children literally could potentially be murdered. Yeah, they're not playing Clue. Yeah. They're in real life. <laughs> so welcome back, Miss Martha. Okay. Sam reveals to the group that she's Billy's daughter. While Sam's connection makes sense, they attempt to uncover the connection between the killer and Vince. Amber reveals that Vince's mother is Leslie Mocker, Stu Mocker's sister. <laughs> Duh, you know her. The first three attacks have all been on people related to the original killers. Mindy confirms the killer is making a requel. She says Stab 8 attempted to add social commentary to elevate its story, and Stab fans hated it because they stripped away the classic formula of a meta horror whodunit. She continues that Stab 1 is the most beloved of the franchise as it introduced a new generation to the horror genre. She believes the killer is making a requel as horror fans are against rebooting franchises from scratch. Black Christmas, Child's Play. (laughs) Flatliners. That shit does not work. (laughs) (laughs) But you also can't do a regular sequel. It has to be new, but not too new. The new movie needs to be part of the ongoing storyline, but with a new set of characters related to and supported by legacy characters in the same vein as Halloween, Terminator, Jurassic Park, etc. But something has to tie it all back to the original. Mindy informs Sam that she's the new star of Stab fan fiction, but also suggests that she is most likely the killer. (laughs) (laughs) Sam angrily storms off as the group agrees that she's the killer. Billy's ghost appears to Sam in her car and pressures her to find the killer so she can enjoy killing them. And cut some fucking throats! Oh my god, I know. Okay, so (laughs) this first appearance of Gail on TV... Oh, she yeah. has this, I don't know what she's talking about, but she's, she has this line, where she's like, I'm never getting bangs again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a nice little Screen 3 reference, of course, yes. this fucking god-awful bang. See, I'm telling you, we have two three, Screen 3 references in this section. Why does the plot of it not matter? Because. Yeah, because. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what they said, too. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, somebody, a few people noticed that Tatum's ashes are on Dewey's yes, mantle. Yes, I, I did see that, that. I was like, oh, I, yeah, did you not see it? No, but it would have been nice to have like a picture of her. It's like, it says Tatum and there's like a white rose, like she's Selena. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Tatum. 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 The world is screaming. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess it wasn't an open casket funeral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine her crushed skull? Oh my God. Like, I imagine it being like, uh, uh, scary Movie 3 <laughs> Brenda's Casket <laughs> I think what I like the most about Dewey, Gale, and Sydney in this movie is that it's funny how easily they're able to figure things out and decipher situations in this one they're like not fucking around on this one No, they're barely in it first of all but also like Dewey right away guesses that the killer is Richie and he was right oh yeah and then when um, Miss Gale and Miss Sydney see Miss Amber coming out of the house and she's pretending that she's been stabbed they're like no, no not it's a it. trap <laughs> yep they know right away so I really like that about their characters yeah like these characters are no longer oh. deers in the headlights they 
they're like, we know how this shit goes. Even Richie says, like, uh, Dewey's way more fun in the movies. And I do, I will admit, uh, Dewey does feel very different in this movie. He seems like he lost his spirit, which makes sense for where the character is in his life. But it is sort of like a sad way to depart from this character. I know, but I do like that when he gets his shit together and he shows up at the little group meeting that they play his little theme song. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I like, know, that was lovely. Are we reacted to that in the theater? Yeah, I was like, oh. Okay, so it's nice to see that Sydney has been able to move on. She's finally gotten to settle. But who is she married to? This is the question. Is Sydney married to Mark Kincaid? We did not realize this until after our after movie discussion when I was like, Mark? Mark Kincaid? Is she married to Mark Kincaid? I think she is. And did you see that interview with her where she didn't realize? She's like, oh. Yeah. She's like, I no, I didn't even realize it until somebody told me this yesterday. When the, the movie's already released, they've already watched it. And they're like, do you think your character is married to Mark Kincaid? She's like, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it's pretty safe to say that she married Patrick Dempsey's character from Scream 3. I think so. It has yet to be confirmed by Radio Silence, but I feel like it is him because they wouldn't haphazardly choose some random name. Yeah. But ScreenRant.com which is a reliable source for movie news, says that it's confirmed that Mark Kincaid is Sydney's husband. How, how the fuck would they know? I don't know. But you <laughs> know what? Um, you think about it, and you're like, at the end of Scream 3, you know, he, Sydney, Gail, and Dewey all sat down and watched a movie. But there's no mention of him in Scream 4, which is fine, because these movies will always introduce us to something new, like Leslie Mocker. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, whatever's convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of cool, the idea that she married Mark Kincaid. It makes sense. I mean, he's a fucking homicide detective. I mean, he can probably understand what she's gone through. I think it's sweet that Dewey always comes back to being a protector. I uh, love that his always. first goal is to warn and protect Sydney, even over Gail. Like, Sydney is like the priority. Yeah. And he always does that in all the movies. And I think it's very sweet yeah i mean i think the consensus about this is that dewey is the mvp of the of the legacy characters in this movie yeah like he like has the biggest emotional impact on us i think i think he's really great in this honestly it felt i felt like he fell right back into this character I was like impressed. He did a great job with this. I was this. impressed. We got to get to these rules that Dewey talks about. Okay, what are the rules? Okay, so the first one, never trust love interest. We already established he he clocked it right from the beginning. Okay, great. The second one is what? Uh, the killer's motive is always connected to something in the past. Always, yeah. Okay, but then this third one really throws me. The first victim is part of a tight-knit friend group. I'm like, is this actually true? Because it's never <laughs> I know, really I'm, been a hundred percent true. It's not, like I will say that I I wrote the synopsis and I changed it from the first victim to the victims because that made more sense. <laughs> that yeah, but that's not what he says. But He's, the first victim, Casey, was not friends. I mean, she was Stu's ex girlfriend, but but Sydney knew her as the girl that sits next to me in English class. They yeah, weren't friends. They weren't friends. And um, Maureen and Phil, they did not know each other. Maureen doesn't even reference that Sydney, that her classmate is the, the stab, you know, woman. Yeah. And the- <laughs> that one girl had biology with her, but I don't, you know, mm-hmm. and then Cotton, that's a whole different situation. I feel like that doesn't That's a count. whole different story. But then like- Jenny and Marnie are not friends with those girls either. 
or not Fra- yeah they call her fucking marnie the carney and then olivia's like i can't stand jenny randall um yeah i yeah so this rule is a stretch but you know what even in randy's rules there was always one rule that was like a little off like yeah like that doesn't happen all the time but sure sure fine. whatever whatevs between dewey's rules and the requel discussion Uh, This horror breakdown has probably been the best since the original because in Scream 2, Randy lays out the rules and Dewey cuts them off before we even get to the last one. (laughs) Uh, But we realize that sequels are bigger and bloodier. In Scream 3, it's like the trilogies all bets are off. But how many horror trilogies are there? So... And then in Scream 4, it's just, well, they talk about how the killer should be recording the murders and any anyone can die, including Sydney, which she doesn't. So this has been the best so far, which brings us to this requel discussion, which is a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, to hear. it is so good because it is so of our time. The requels are rampant. And I feel like a lot of this has to do, not just because of the pandemic, obviously they've been happening for a while, but like. It all comes back to like our need to like feel nostalgic and feel comforted by the things that we love so much is like everything is a requel now. TV shows, yeah. we have fucking Sex in the City back on with like original characters but new characters and you know it's like we can't help ourselves now it's like everything is coming back everything that's true and a lot of it does have to do with the pandemic but even more so i think for horror specifically horror franchises that were already established have become fan service but in a lot of ways i feel like that's saving the genre yeah because there there's always there are always these trends that are overdone and then we scale it back to something basic and i think yeah halloween 2018 doing it and yeah. scream and this and that i mean even this movie is even called scream and everybody blew up about it but this is why because it's a requel it's it literally talks about it in the yeah, movie. yeah they make fun of the fact that the movie is called scream in the movie yeah it's so funny and i do think that like a lot of it is what you were saying before is also is like a lot of horror franchises don't have the reoccurring characters that the Scream franchise does, other than maybe Jamie Lee in Halloween. Which is, I mean, debatable because there are so many installments that don't even include the fact that she's still alive. Right, exactly. (laughs) So it is, it makes sense if there's going to be any requel that is possible, it's this. You know, it's Scream. It's bringing back these characters again that we know and love, but also introducing something new and and a new cast of characters and um you know which is kind of what scream 4 did but um but then it killed them all off yeah but they killed them all off so it's like (laughs) this is uh this is the triton true requel that we've needed well something that the creators of this said was that they didn't want to treat this scream 5 as if it were setting up for more sequels. They were like, we kind of have, you know, what if it doesn't have a life after this? What if it does terribly and it doesn't have a life and we set up a two hour intro for Scream 6 and, you know, they were like, we wanted to make it a full meal, they say. Which is exactly what Halloween 2018 did too. Yeah, it's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end and everything's great. And then if we ever come back, it'll be a, a new storyline with the same characters that we've now introduced in Scream 5. Right. So it's like, okay, that's great. Because there are the, there are some great characters in this and we're getting to know like Mindy a little bit more. I think she is probably the best Randy substitute we'll have, we've had. Oh, for sure. Because um, Robbie and Charlie didn't really cut it. Blah. So I feel like I know. Mindy really is giving it to us as far as like laying out the rules. I think oh, this, yeah. For her as a monologue, 
is great. I would, if I were an actor, I would audition with this model. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so it's good. So and good. I think it really, um, really hits the nail on the head. It almost felt like a little bit of like an attack on us as the, you know, as these like horror fans now. And, you know, mm. it's, but in a good way, it felt fun. It felt nice to have somebody kind of poke fun at us watching this. And I love it. It's great. Um, there's another stab in consistency. So stab eight is the latest edition. Yeah. And Scream 4, stab seven already exists. So when was Scream 4 stab made? Was it called something else to separate it from the fake sequels? There's no way. Wes says his mom is a character because they were like, who's next? Liv asks the question, who's next? And Mindy says, well, it has to be somebody connected to the original. And they kind of look at Dewey. But then Wes says, well, my mom's also a character in one of those movies. In which one? Mindy responds, no one cares about the inferior sequels. So there has to be a Scream 4 stab. I feel like that's the confirmation we needed. But I'm like, was it called something else? I was anticipating that... And this is exact. This is what I thought was going to happen. I thought there was going to be a stab movie in this, you know, mentioned in this that was just called Stab, but it was the Scream Four Stab. But in this one, it's Stab, but it's the eighth installment that has nothing to do with Scream Four. I think that they, I don't know, kind of put their foot in their mouth here because I would have, I would have fully believed that Stab Eight was the story of Scream Four. But once they said that she's not even in it, and I mean, I would even believe the Chrome Face, you know thing like okay sure it's an exaggerated over dramatized version of whatever happened there but yeah with all this dialogue it makes no sense that there's no scream 4 version of stab that exists yeah i do have to say that i think okay chrome face just let's mention this because we you just you just mentioned it and it'll come later but whatever yeah chrome face in the trailer was so misleading yes it like was. <laughs> We were like, oh my god, the chrome mask? Are you kidding me? Fans went nuts. And then it literally just appears for a second as a YouTube clip. (laughs) So I do think, though, that it sort of gave away that Amber was the killer. Because when the trailer first came out and they showed somebody in flames, everybody in the comments was like, that's Amber on fire. That's Amber on fire. I know it is. And once upon a time in Hollywood, her character is a killer who dies from a flamethrower. Oh. And so I almost feel like that was a nod as to why she was even cast in this movie. Because I think that they sought her out to be in this. You think because so? Because it's you like think... she she was cast in this movie and immediately I was like, I already know who the killer is. It's Mikey Madison because she did phenomenal in What's Been a Time in Hollywood as crazy fucking Sadie or Susie or whatever the fuck her name <laughs> is. The Manson girl that goes crazy. I knew she was going to be the killer. I just knew it. So I was like, that's why she got cast in this. So she could play that crazy fucking character again. And then they basically put her fate in the trailer as the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But it's this. And then we get another appearance by the Billy Ghost Gruff in in the rearview mirror yelling at Miss Sam. I think this one was a little more like, okay, this is in her head. You know, this feels a little better. But I would have liked if, like, maybe we saw his face, like, next to her ear whispering, but not his full face. They do a lot of close-ups. Yeah, I'm like, I don't need to see his face that much because I'm so distracted by the de-aging. Yeah. He's basically, he's a character in this movie. I mean, he even gets one of those fun little photo credits at the end. Oh, I know. Like, give me a break. Give me a break. Should we move on? All right. Later at the Hicks residence, Judy leaves West to go pick up some sushi. When Judy leaves, Wes jumps in the shower. 
On her way to pick up her order, Judy receives a phone call from the killer who tells her he's going to kill Wes. Judy flips her car around immediately, racing back home to save Wes. She rides at the house and races to the front door, but Ghostface rushes at her from the patio and stabs her in the stomach. Ghostface proceeds to viciously stab her multiple times in her front yard, killing her. In the middle of the fucking day, which is crazy. Broad fucking daylight. Where are the neighbors? Literally. Woodsboro's like empty. Maybe everybody moved after Scream 4. They're like, fuck this. Yeah, fuck this place. (laughs) Wes gets out of the shower and prepares plates and silverware for the food. From the kitchen, he hears the front door open. He goes to investigate, but no one is there. He shuts the front door, and as he turns back around, Ghostface lunges at him and slowly pierces his neck with his knife, killing him. Sam arrives at the Hicks residence and learns that Judy and Wes are dead. Just then, Gail, played by Courtney Cox, arrives and meets Sam. She quickly rushes past her when she spots Dewey. In their emotional reunion, it is revealed that Dewey and Gail moved to New York for her morning show, but after two months, Dewey left and returned to Woodsboro. They divorced shortly after. When Gail expresses her remorse over Judy's death, Dewey sarcastically suggests it'll make a great chapter in her next book. At the hotel, Richie watches a YouTube video of Stab 8, which is criticized for Ghostface using a flamethrower and the movie simply being titled Stab instead of Stab 8. We also see a thumbnail for a suggested video of an interview with Kirby Reed, who survived her attack in Scream 4. There, there it is. You happy? There, Jesus Christ. You happy fucking fans? Fucking (laughs) psychos? She's going to be in this movie. She needs to be in this movie. Even though Horror Queer has confirmed that the only reason she did they didn't show her dying on screen was not to bring her back, but it was because it was in her contract that she couldn't die on screen. Yeah. And then she left Hollywood because she wondered why she kept getting cast <laughs> as the all-American bitch. It's like, because you won't even show yourself dying on screen. Yeah, Jesus. Come on, Hayden. Have some balls. She's not coming back. As far as I know, she's like left Hollywood. Yeah. Bye, Kirby. This is it. Great. She's alive. Move on. I feel like there's no way in hell she's going to come back for scream six and if she does she better die <laughs> i know seriously <laughs> she belongs to scream four we're done with yes her. exactly her story was in, in, intermingled with jill and all that and that shit's done so yeah jill's dead yeah sam calls richie but their call is interrupted when sam notices all the police are at judy's crime scene leaving tara unattended at the hospital sam rushes to the hospital and is joined by dewey At the hospital, Tara is alone and hears a noise in the hallway. Scared to be attacked again, Tara painfully slides off her bed into a wheelchair just as the hospital lights shut off. As Tara wheels her way to the elevator, she finds a murdered cop on the ground, his gun missing. Richie appears and Ghostface soon follows, slashing his arm open and knocking him out. Tara attempts to slowly escape. Richie's phone rings and Ghostface answers it as it's Sam. He gives her the choice of saving Richie or Tara. Sam stalls him on the phone until she and Dewey are able to make their way up. Dewey shoots Ghostface several times and helps Sam and Richie and Tara escape, but returns to Ghostface to make sure he is dead. Ghostface uses two knives to stab Dewey, one in his stomach and one in his back, sliding the knives up to cut him open. Dewey grunts in pain as he sees Gale calling his cell. Ghostface exclaims killing him is an honor as Dewey drops dead. Gail shows up at the hospital and screams in sorrow over Dewey's death. Later, Sydney shows up, having heard about Dewey and instantly consoles Gail. (laughs) 
Okay, once again, I'm loving Marley's character work with Judy. I think she has some really great lines yes. in this. When, when she hears a noise in the house and she goes, that you, Tiger? <laughs> <laughs> and when she runs into Wes and he's like, are you being safe out there? And he's like, yes, everybody's making fun of me. And he has the taser. It's like, yes. it's all, and she goes, good boy. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. She's so cute. And you know what? She loves animated movies and musicals oh that's my favorite delivery from (laughs) her when he goes what's your favorite scary movie and she's i prefer animated films and musicals why are you doing this (laughs) (laughs) oh it's just so judy well speaking of i feel like this whole scene is a full-on homage to that opening scene of stab I mean, it's an, I feel like it's an homage to several things. Several things, but first off, stab because the way he, the way they shoot him turning it on the shower. That's the same it's a stab scene. reference, which is also a psycho reference. So it's great. But also the one that we kind of noticed, it's also kind of a stab or sorry, a Scream Three reference. This is basically the opening of Scream Three with Cotton and Christine. Yeah, with Christine being in the shower, she has a nice little voice. voice. And Cotton being in the car and racing to get to the apartment yeah. to save her. This is exactly it, but with gender role reversal. Yes, exactly. And yeah, I do think that's really interesting that they we have a nice, sexy shower scene with a boy. With a boy. It's very Slumber Party Massacre remake. But it also is also a reference to uh, Staff 3, Return to Woodsboro with uh, Miss Candy yes. getting in the shower. Yeah. Why Someone died. Why is she showering? Yes, there's like <laughs> so many references just in this one scene. It's so brilliant. You know, Judy having her confrontation with Ghostface in the car. I was really shocked by how sudden her death was. Me too. Me too. I thought that maybe she would be able to fight back more. I mean, she's the fucking sheriff. You know, and she had her. She kicked him. And she had her athleisure on. Like, she should have been pretty. (laughs) She should have been doing parkour around Ghostface. (laughs) She's doing Zumba on him. It was shocking because she's running up the stairs and I I think I expected her to get inside because that's what happens to Cotton. Yeah. And it didn't. It it she yeah. he met her in the front yard. I was like, "What?" Yeah, and I mean That's insane. And that's bold for that killer for just to to not only stab her once outside but then to keep stabbing her and then to leave her body out there. And mm. you know, that's bold. I mean, my god, like yeah. there's neighbors it's the middle of the day, but I guess these neighbors <laughs> do not care. They're not around. Also, it has. We should note that this is silly. That on her, on her way, she calls the police to get to the house, and so much time goes by. And where the fuck are the police? Woodsboro is a mess. Has really changed. Yes, the first movie. <laughs> um, I love this scene where they have this tension build with Wes opening different doors. Oh yes, it's so good. And they've done this before in these movies where it's like they anticipate, yeah. anticipate, and then they close the door and no one's there. Um, but they do it so many times yes. in this one scene, and they do it with music and they do it without music, and so it was very funny. It's very funny. Um, like to bo- see this yeah, every constantly. showing I've seen. Um, people have reacted to it as if it is like a, a funny gag because it is because you expect like uh oh the closet door and then it's not there then it's the refrigerator door and then it's yes. not there um so i thought that was really brilliant and we do get a little reference to the lemon squares on the on the fr- oh, refrigerator yes. door in the fridge oh. rotting now because they're both dead oh god um, <laughs> that's so sad this stab was brutal um some of these are oh. like one hitter quitters but they're but the one hitters are pretty vicious yeah and that slow stab through the neck and you see it like protrude pull and poke through the the other side oh my, oh my god, god. Yep. that this was is... like ooh, 
Gail and Dewey's emotional reunion. It's nice. It's sad to think that this is their last interaction because it feels very Scream 2. Can you imagine him just dying after their confrontation Scream 2? I know. Yeah, that, yeah, it is very sad that this is how they kind of leave each other. But this was his fate. This was his destiny because it's like he keeps going back to Woodsboro and why? He's He like snuck out in the middle of the night left. Like he, it wasn't even like a amicable like breakup it seems like he like literally packed his shit and left her in the middle of the night like that's fucked up and so i get why gail's mad (laughs) yeah her introduction in this is kind of funky excuse me (laughs) yeah and then she's like oh did you know the sheriff yeah she didn't really like me she She didn't didn't really like me me either either. this isn't friends courtney (laughs) this is great what is this like silly like light-hearted interaction like she knew Judy. She's like watching her body get covered. And she's like, yeah, she didn't like me either. Oh, well. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. People are dead, Gail. They've seen so many people die at this point. Dewey's sort of heartbroken over it every time. But she's sort of like, oh, whatever. Um, yeah, it's just like a funny It's like a funny scene. It feels weird. We get to the hospital and... Miss Tara is watching Dawson's Creek. Oh, yes. And she's watching the Scare episode, which is written by Kevin Williamson. And in the clip they're showing, Scott Foley and Joshua Jackson are in that scene. Oh. There you go. There's Roman. There he is, right there in all his glory. Roman and film class guy number one. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, is this hospital intentionally empty to reference scream for no i you know what happened is it's a really quick line that happens before but judy says that they're gonna move her to a private floor you're right i heard that so that's why i give it like a little bit of a of a you know i give it some leeway here because of course i'm like what the fuck is wrong with woodsboro memorial or whatever this hospital is called (laughs) because what the hell like this is insane that there's never anybody around. So I don't know. It's crazy. But I you know, know what I noticed is I think there's our first ever off screen kill in this scene. Okay. Was it? Is it? That cop. I don't think there's ever been a, a kill that Ghostface has done that we've seen off screen. We've never seen that before. And the only time that's ever happened, it was fake, which was Roman. That's true. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, I've never seen Ghostface just like leave a body behind. I was like, oh, that's kind of new. We just kill people and we don't show it. Any more guys okay <laughs> wow we're really getting lazy um, yeah <laughs> we're really taking some liberties here radio silence you know who's not lazy tara tara she, poor, is poor baby a, poor baby. a really strong character she is going through it in this movie jenna's acting the hell out of it and the pain that you're feeling oh my god as she's climbing off of this hospital bed her poor little hand i felt the worst her about her leg hand her hands bleeding it's like oh my god i think that there's a clue that richie is the killer because richie shows up right yeah there's two inconsistencies here because he's like sam called and said that you were in trouble and so i came over which she never did she was on the phone with him but she never said like go to the hospital so he shows up without actually getting anything from sam about tara being in trouble and the second one is that he gets the same wound on his arm that jill gets when when Ghostface comes yes. in with a slice to the arm. Which is also a reference to Scream 2. Pity, pity me surface wound. Yeah, so that is, a I think, a super big clue. Like, se- watching the second time, I'm like, oh, yeah. I was like, he gets the same, like, 
convenient slice on his arm. Little, wow, some, look at you, some little investigator. Clue. Yeah, call me. Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I think we all knew this was coming. The demise of Dewey Riley. Of one of the legacy characters. Like, one had to go. Yeah. Uh, and if we had to choose, I think as a fandom, we would all pick Dewey. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I think some people might pick Gale. <laughs> Some people might pick Gale, but as gay fans of yeah. Scream, we pick Dewey. <laughs> yeah, and if you saw the Drew Barrymore show, you would know that gays love Gale Weathers. That's what that sweatshirt said. Gays love Gale, yeah. He dies a hero because he does save Tara. He shoots at Ghostface. But it's that thing in Scream 3 where it's like, the head, Dewey. Shoot him in the head. I have to say, I love this bait and switch moment that happens with the phone call. You know, this like, but who are you going to save, Richie or Tara? Who are you going to save? And then she's like, he's like, I think you're just too weak for this franchise. And she's like, maybe I am. Or maybe I'm just stalling to, you know, whatever. And then the... For the el- yeah. Boo, 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 boo. So good. Great. I got chills. I was like, yes, fuck yeah. That was cool. I love that bait and switch. Yeah. Knowing that that Ghostface's Amber is hilarious. And um, Oh my God. I know. Especially when you look at the height difference throughout the movie. I know. The fight with Dewey. I'm like, give me a break. The craziest part is that after he shoots Ghostface, he gets up and nobody goes over to him and takes off the motherfucking mask. I honestly thought, I was like, oh, this is where they're going to get us. Because I know everybody was expecting, like, there's going to be some twist or, you know, some twist that totally changes the formula, the formula in some yes, way. Yes, exactly. And I thought this was going to be like, oh my god, they're going to unveil a ghost face now. But then they fucking did it. <laughs> I was like, whoa. They did reveal that they're wearing a bulletproof vest. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean... Another Screen 3 reference. Yeah, another Screen 3 <laughs> reference, I guess. I mean, I guess they justified it as if they got to get them all out of here. We have a, a very hurt girl. We have another guy with an arm wound. We got to get them out first. But I'm like... You just shot them three times or like passed out. Get the fucking mask off and then run. Oh, well, whatever. This kill is pretty vicious. I mean, when you consider oh, yeah. that Ghostface kills his victims with a hunting knife, to have one lodged in your stomach and one in your back and then pull it up. Then you have that big release of blood on the floor. Oh, yeah. It was pretty brutal. And it's really sad to see this character leave in a way because, I mean, it, this is exactly what the movie is, the, the way they talk about, where it's like, this is a movie that introduced a new generation of horror fans to the genre. Yeah. And this is one of the characters that we've stuck with for the past 25 years. Yeah. And so to see him finally die off is quite yeah. sad. It is. It's like, oh, wow, you've survived so much. It's almost hard to believe that any of these characters would die at this point. Because I'm like, is any situation good enough for them to die? I think that this one was. If one of them was going to die, it was going to be Dewey. And if I had to pick a movie for him to die in, it probably would be this one. Yeah. If not earlier. Sure. (laughs) Saving somebody, saving a young girl. Even though later on when... um, Miss Courtney has that conversation with Sam and Sam's like, then my sister wouldn't be here if he hadn't saved her life or whatever. Gail looks at her like, I don't give a fuck about none of that. I don't (laughs) fucking know you, bitch. (laughs) Okay. I don't know you and I don't give a fuck about your sister. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, what a choice to just look at her like that, like all cold. I think maybe that she was trying to convey like, "Mm, you're right, but it did kind of look more like, "Mm, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> I know, especially because they're like, Sam, your sister's awake. And she's like, go. 
Oh, it's sad. And um, it, we have this really great slow-mo emotional moment where Gail realizes that Dewey is dead. And then S- Miss Sydney comes. And <laughs> Miss Sydney drove the 30 minutes, I guess, that she lives away. Jim- she has to live nearby. <laughs> she- I, I saw her jogging with the child. And I was like, this bitch lives in Marin. I thought she kind of looked like she lived in like San Diego or something to me. But nope, she's like, I came as soon as I heard. I was like, didn't he die like maybe 15 minutes ago? <laughs> that like, bitch has to live. I she's like, she I'm never setting foot in Woods- Woodsboro again. It's a few, like, it's a few 15 minutes away, but I'm never going over there. I'm gonna say she lives in Marin. Why wouldn't she move literally like across the country? No, here she is right next to Gail, <laughs> um, just mourning his death. So now we moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Sam further plans to protect Tara by heading out of town. As she, Richie, and Tara leave the hospital, Sam is confronted by Sydney, who insists she take down the killer instead of running. Sydney asks Sam to help her and Gail take him down, but she declines because no matter what her connection is, she does not want Stab to be a part of her story. I don't know why not. It's so glamorous. (laughs) Sam leaves with Tara and Richie. In the car, Tara realizes she doesn't have her inhaler. Instead of going back to the hospital, Tara suggests they stop by Amber's house as she has an extra inhaler for her. Amber is having a memorial for Wes, but it quickly has turned into a party where everyone takes a shot to honor Wes's memory. That's really sweet that they threw that in there for Wes Craven. Oh, that is true. For Wes. Oh, I didn't even put that two and two together. We're like, to Wes, to Wes, you beautiful man or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Mindy asks for more beer, and Amber goes down to the basement to get more. Mindy follows, scolding her for going alone. Amber and Mindy tease each other about potentially being the killer. Meanwhile, Liv attempts to go upstairs and have sex with Chad, but he declines as she could be the killer and doesn't want to be alone with her. Liv gets pissed and storms off. Sydney, having placed a tracker on Richie's car, follows them with Gail to Amber's house. Gail reflects back on her books about Woodsboro and Maureen Prescott, thinking her sensationalizing the stories are the reason this keeps happening. Sydney assures her it isn't her fault, but that they will end it tonight. No more books, no more movies, no more Ghostface. Back at the party, Mindy watches Stab and gets to the part where her Uncle Randy explains the rules of surviving a horror movie. Chad criticizes her for watching the movie as he goes outside to find Liv. Liv shares her location to his phone, but he can't find her. Suddenly, as he gets closer to her location, it's actually Ghostface. He attacks Chad, stabbing him several times, leaving him for dead. Sam, Richie, and Tara arrive to the party. Tara asks for her extra inhaler, and Amber kicks the whole party out. Mindy stays behind, continuing the movie. Liv suddenly sits down next to her, complaining that her Uber canceled and Chad thinks she's a killer. Mindy becomes suspicious as Chad went to look for her and now he's nowhere to be found. Liv towers over her, intimidating Mindy, saying maybe the twist is that she is the killer and to watch out because the expert always dies. She leaves the room. Enjoy your movie. (laughs) Snatch those chips. As Gail and Sydney get closer to Amber's house, they realize it is Stu Mocker's house. Sydney calls Sam to warn her to get out. Mindy has gotten to the part in Stab where the killer is approaching Randy, and she playfully yells for him to turn around as the killer... Killer. The killer! (laughs) The killer is here! In Woodsboro, Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Mindy has gotten... Oh! (laughs) 
What's Mindy has gotten to the part in Stab where the killer is approaching Randy and she playfully yells for him to turn around as the killer appears behind her. Mindy realizes she's making the mistake in the movie and turns around. Ghostface attacks. Sam hears the scuffle and runs in on Ghostface who has stabbed Mindy in the shoulder. Sam breaks a lamp over his head. He runs off as Mindy passes out. Amber, Tara, and Richie run in. They all suspect each other until Liv runs in screaming that she's found Chad. They become suspicious of her as she screams that she's not the killer. Amber says she knows and suddenly shoots Liv in the head, revealing herself as the killer, welcoming the group to Act 3. Okay, well, first of all, it's Kamaya. I just have to say, this movie did a great job, like we said, the 707 area code, putting Modesto in such close vicinity of Woodsboro, and now they've done what I thought they would never do. They've put one of my favorite Bay Area rappers (laughs) on the soundtrack. Wow. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Kamaya is a female Bay Area rapper, and she's featured in this party scene. I do have to say that this is a great soundtrack overall. I mean, Orville Peck. Yes. Singing uh, one of your favorite songs. My God, Turn to Hate is in that bar scene while they're playing pool. I was like, oh my God. Gay. I love it. The movie opens with True Love by Duran Jones and the Indications, which I love their music and I love that song. And I just thought it was great to hear that. And then um, as Liv and Chad are making out, you get 070 Shake singing Guilty Conscience, which I thought was a great addition to the soundtrack. This is a great soundtrack. I love it. Yeah, you have SZA. It's great. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, We have some new stab scenes. Oh my God, I know. That blew my mind. It's hilarious. Like it's getting hilarious. to see more of Stab, and that's exactly what you wanted. You were like, I hope we see more scenes of Stab. I was like, there's no way. There we go again. It's like they listen. Yeah, new Stab scenes, which is a nice way to resurrect Randy, which is another fan fave mention. It's like we have Jennifer Jolie, Kirby, Randy. I mean, if they're doing an impressive job, really winking at the audience. Yeah. Like, you love these people, right? Here they are. Acknowledging all the favorites that have come before, which is really nice. I will say that this scene makes sense to be word for word what happened. You know, we talked about maybe how in Stab, Sydney and Billy's conversation, like how would Gail even know yeah. that that took place? Yeah. But in this one, she was recording this happening oh, in that's true. La- actual time. So this makes sense that she would have put all of this in her book word for word. But something that's mentioned earlier by Mindy is that you know, this new Scream requel, or no, sorry, new Stab requel is going back to the original and, you know, the classic meta horror whodunit. But you've brought this up before. Are these movies whodunits when the it's a true story? Yeah, it's a true story and we know who the killers are. Pretending that they're wondering who the killer is? Yeah, like they should know <laughs> this is a true story in this universe. So it is funny mm. that they do think of it as a whodunit when it's like, you know who done it. <laughs> You know who done it. You know who it. done done it from the beginning. You know who done already had done had herses. <laughs> you know already done had herses. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's a nice way to resurrect Randy. And I thought the guy playing Randy did a great job. I mean, he almost sounds just like him. He did. But it's true. It was a Joe Blow nobody who played him. But that's hilarious. I know they should have gotten. I mean, who are they going to get? Yeah, this is fine. It was nobody. Yeah, they already blew their de aging budget on. Miss Billy Loomis, so... Yeah, they couldn't do any more mockery. <laughs> Speaking of mockery, um, the Mocker House is amazing. Oh my god, <laughs> it, it, yeah, what a beautiful recreation. Because this is all on a soundstage. 
they had to have gone and like took taken measurements and everything because the screen three sets were destroyed so it wasn't like they had this somewhere in a in a warehouse and they're like let's bring those pieces back out i don't know maybe they just have that shit on file I don't know. It's so impressive how close it is to the actual house. And I know they changed some things up, but um, it's, but I mean, they didn't even really change the color of the walls. It's the same color scheme and everything. It's really impressive. And even the original cast in their interviews said that they got emotional stepping onto that set because in a lot of ways, that's where their careers started or their their future yeah. romances started. Yeah, it's a big deal for them. Yeah, for Isn't sure. it crazy to think that Miss Coco Arquette is like... A product of Scream? <laughs> Good wow. lucky her. I wonder if she thinks about that. I doubt it. She probably doesn't even realize they're in this movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even when Sydney walks into the house for the first time, you get that nice little Sydney's Lament reprise, which is so beautifully inserted. It's funny that the best part of this the best parts of the score are the ones that they borrow. <laughs> yes, I know. It's like, oh, I love that part. I mean, it's the most memorable just because it sticks out in our ears. Our ears are so right. trained to hear these songs or, you know, these melodies. And that when they show up, we're like, oh, instant, you know, endorphin rush. Nostalgia. Just, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, it's like, like a warm blanket being thrown over you. It's yes, great. exactly. We have some really great dialogue there's like a few standout moments in this movie and this chunk of the movie is one of my favorites. I just love mm-hmm. all the interactions between the the friends. I like this. Um, I especially love this conversation between Amber and Mindy in the basement. First of all, we get that opening shot of, you know, Miss, uh, Miss Amber opening up the door and it's obviously a recreation of the Tatum scene. Um, less nipples. Which I was less nipples, yeah. A little disappointed, but um, flatter, ch- flatter chest, flatter yeah, chest, yeah, yeah. thicker bra. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but this time they, I, I was like, I kind of wish they would have shown the garage, but go off this. I know, yeah. They, they kind of keep it very tight on the fridge. <laughs> well, they, they're in the basement, so it's like a totally different part of the house. Oh, that's true. They're not even in the garage. They're in the fucking basement. But yes, the dialogue is really fun here when she's like. Are, like, why are you coming down here alone? There's a killer on the list. And- exactly. And this is what I was we were talking about earlier, is that these characters exist in a world where it's like, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they, if they don't. There's no right answer to how, how to go about these things. Whether they go down by themselves, they've screwed themselves because now they're alone and vulnerable. Or if they go down with somebody, there's potentially a situation with the other person they've gone down with. So it's like there's no right way for them to actually operate in this world. They're just screwed either way. (laughs) Their fate is sealed no matter what. But I do love when like Amber kind of drops into a little bit of a suspicious voice when she's like, well, how do you know I'm not the killer? And then Mindy's like, because I am. And I was like, Oh my God, I got chills. And then she was like, I'm not actually the killer, but if I were, (laughs) you know, I was like, okay. So it's like yeah. it's super fun, and Miss Jasmine's line delivery is she's so great, perfect in every line. And then I love, of course, uh, Chad not wanting to have sex with Liz <laughs> because he's like skeptical about her being the killer. Yeah. But also, it's that age-old rule of like don't have sex. Don't they have haven't sex. had sex yet. So. Yeah. There's also this interaction between Mindy and Chad. Like Mindy's obviously watching Stab, and they're showing all oh, the yeah. Randy scenes, and he's like. You're going to sit here and watch a movie where our uncle gets stabbed. 
And she goes, it brings me comfort. Also, (laughs) I'm also going to smoke some weed and possibly hook up with Frances. (laughs) And then she looks. Yeah, little Miss Lesbian. Yeah, little Miss Queer. We love it. Uh, This was another thing in the trailer that I thought they were going to totally switch up on. Me too. No. Me too. Nope. It's there. It's there. Yeah, the the chat attack is exactly what it is in the trailer. I thought for sure it was going to be some sort of misdirection. Um, I do like what I do like about it though. While one of the criticisms that I've come across a lot is that there is a lack of chase scenes in this movie, which is true. That is very true. This is the closest we get to a chase scene, and I but I do like that it's with the hot guy and not the hot girl. Yes. I thought that I kind of appreciated that. I was like, "Ooh, okay, he's like the hot jock." You know, the scene's pretty short, which I'm sure it's like, okay, they, again, we have so much in this movie already. It's like how much how long we can't have you know a Helen Shivers moment but sure I, I just uh, I kind of like that I was like okay there's a lot of like cool like gender gender gender, gender reversals which are, are, are nice to see I would have only uh, appreciated more if he was in his undies <laughs> oh yeah he, Mason Gooding is hot he's sexy and I <laughs> he really is he has like chest hair and stuff I'm like oh <gasps> I love it oh! yeah cream five <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I also really like that he was wearing like the Woodsboro jacket. It made me think of Stephen Orr. Yeah. But also after he's like stabbed and left for dead, he looks up and that car is driving by and you're like, oh, the car's going to see him. And it doesn't. <laughs> it's very Casey Becker in that. Yes. So totally. it felt like a reference to the both of them. For sure. Yeah. I love how they just totally don't see him. He's like, Ugh! he's like, you know, dying over there and. So then we have another similar moment, like you said, with Amber and Mindy. Like, what if I was a killer? What if I was? But now the stakes are higher because the killer's in the house. He's attacked Mindy, stabbed her in the shoulder. She passes out from the side of the blood. <laughs> and every, Amber screams. She's so dramatic. Amber screams, ah, what did uh, you yeah. do? And then Liv runs in and she's like, I just found Chad. And then everyone's like, you're the killer. And she's like, I'm not the killer. I'm not and the fucking Am- killer. Amber totally switches. She goes, I know. I was shocked. I was like shocked. I was like, oh, oh, that yeah, that one got me. I was like, oh yes, wow, what a reveal. That was a really good reveal. It yeah. wasn't an unmasking or something slow or no, you know, a change. But it was very similar to Billy's when he's like, we all go a little bit yeah. sometimes and shoots Randy. It was kind of that, but this was so fast. It took you totally by surprise. That was totally bold of her to do it in, in front of like five people standing there usually it's in front of one person they could have jumped her right there but they run yeah they all run but they could all could have just jumped on her and beat her ass right there <laughs> and she has that great line that finishes off this section with welcome to act three which is okay. for sure a reference to jill why because that's what she says oh <laughs> isn't that what she says probably oh uh, she does say that ready for act three yeah, she, yes. She says that. So she shoots Trevor in the head, says ready for act three, and Amber says, or Amber shoots Liv in the head and says... She says, welcome to act three. Yeah. But, but of course that's a reference, because there are so many lines in this. There's when Sam's being attacked in the hospital, and she says, um, if you want me, come and get me. And he goes, my pleasure. And yeah. And he comes after her. There are these lines that are being repeated throughout that you may not necessarily pick up on, like... I, that totally went over my head. But yes, yeah, totally that's a reference. Ooh, okay. Ooh, I feel vindicated. All right. <laughs> I was like, I know she says that. The group, the group runs, runs from Amber. 
Sam and Richie run off together, but when Sam wants to rescue Tara, Richie tells her that he thinks Tara is the second killer. Sam goes off anyway. When Gail and Sydney arrive, Amber runs out from the house pretending she's been stabbed, screaming out for help. Sydney and Gail do not buy her performance, so Amber drops the act and shoots Gail in the stomach before running back inside. Gail insists Sydney go after her to bring justice for Dewey. Sam finds Tara tied up in the closet and begins to cut her loose. She stops, having second thoughts that maybe Tara is the killer. Sydney's phone rings and she makes her way upstairs. It's Ghostface announcing himself as the second killer. Sydney hangs up, saying she's bored and shoots a bullet into the closet door. Richie's in the closet and screams, saying he's hiding from the killer. Suddenly, Ghostface attacks Sydney and they fall over the railing onto the ground floor. Sydney reaches for her dropped gun, but Sam picks it up. Richie stumbles over to Sam, taking the gun, saying he's glad she's okay before thrusting a knife into her stomach. He says he wanted to be the one to kill her. He also reveals that he has Tara's inhaler. Amber and Richie take Sam, Sydney, and Gail into the kitchen. Amber explains she's been obsessed with stabs since moving into the Mocker house, and she met Richie on a stab Reddit thread. Richie says the stab sequels have sucked since stab five. He shows anger over studios not taking the fans' love for the franchise seriously. Since Hollywood is out of ideas, Richie and Amber decided to create a new killing spree as source material because the great stab movies are the ones based on the real story. While Sam thinks she's the hero of the movie, Richie explains she's being framed as the killer. Billy Loomis's daughter who has psychotic visions of her dead dad? It's perfect. (laughs) Amber admits they knew about Billy being her father because it's a small town and Sam's mom is a drunk. (laughs) I know. What? Wow, way to easily explain that one. She also explains they had to bring Sydney back because you can't have a bona fide Halloween without Jamie Lee. They're not trying to make a bullshit cash-in run-of-the-mill sequel. Their movie has stakes because if anyone can die in a requel. Amber suddenly stabs Sydney in the stomach and Richie explains that she has to die. She survived too many times and it's starting to get ridiculous. (laughs) I love that line. I thought that was a great line. (laughs) Amber goes to retrieve the captured Tara, but she's not there because Sam untied her. Tara appears and begins to beat Amber with her crutch. Richie, distracted, is overpowered by Sam, who runs out of the kitchen. Richie follows. Amber returns to the kitchen where Gail and Sydney jump her. Sydney smashes a glass bottle of hand sanitizer over Amber's head. As they beat her ass, (laughs) Amber pleads with them to buy time before telling Gail that Dewey died like a pussy. Gail punches her, but Amber overpowers Gail and Sydney. Amber begins to choke Gail, but Gail fights back, knocking her into the stovetop, lighting up one of the burners. Gail proceeds to shoot her, causing her to fall onto the lit stovetop. Amber combusts into flames from the flammable hand sanitizer. (laughs) It took me until the second viewing to realize that's why she went up in flames. I was like, oh... (laughs) Because she's covered in hand sanitizer. That's why she just like, blew yeah. up. <laughs> just like, just like, like, she must have been wearing polyester. Yeah, I was like, what? I was like, what is she wearing? <laughs> she just went up like that. It's all, woof. Yeah, <laughs> like, whoa. I was like, whoa, it happened so fast. Upstairs, Sam attacks Richie and they fall down the stairs. Richie taunts her, saying she's the villain. And the rules say the villain has to die at the end. As he talks, Sam finds his dropped knife, with the help of Billy's ghost, of course, and she she says she's introducing a new rule, never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer. 
She plunges the knife into Richie's cheek, piercing through both sides. Sam doesn't stop and brutally continues to stab him over 20 times. I counted. (laughs) She finishes him off by slitting his throat. Sydney and Gail join Sam, warning her that they always come back. Sam grabs Gail's gun and shoots him a few times to make sure he's dead. Suddenly, a severely burned Amber rushes toward them, screaming with her knife raised. But this time, Tara stops her, shooting her in the head. Mindy and Chad have survived and are taken to a hospital. Tara asks the EMTs to take her to a different hospital than the last one. (laughs) (laughs) Sam thanks Sydney and Gail for their help. Gail refuses to report about the new murders as to not give the killers notoriety. She instead plans to write a tribute book honoring Dewey. Sydney tells Sam she's sorry this happened and eventually she will be okay. Sam joins Tara in her ambulance, catching a glimpse of Billy's ghost one last time in the reflection of a car. Several media crews descend on the house and start reporting about the murders as the camera pans out, showing us another sunrise on 261 Turner Lane. At the end of the film, a tribute to Wes Craven is shown with the words, For Wes, as the credits begin to roll. The end. Woo! Wow! I also guess that the the Four West um, little trivia then they had birds, the sound of birds, because I guess he was like an avid bird watcher. Oh, how cute! Fun fact: he's an ornithologist. <laughs> Since, <laughs> well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Sydney's search for Amber is almost exactly the same as Dewey in Scream One, only this time Stab is on the TV instead of Halloween. Oh yeah. You know, he's a, but it's crazy to think that Stab in this movie is 25 years old. And in Scream 1, Halloween was only 18 years old. Damn. Wait, that's crazy. Did you do that math that's on your own? I did. <laughs> it's something I thought about when I was watching the movie again last night. I was oh like, my wait, gosh. what? That's crazy. That is crazy. I had no idea. But I do like the first door that she shoots is the door that she, or like the, is the closet that she was in when she attacks Billy. In the in oh, yeah. the finale of Scream One, and also I'm like I hope nobody's just hiding in the closet because <laughs> exactly I was thinking that too I was like damn she's just shooting before opening she's yeah like, whatever <laughs> I don't give a fuck anymore were you surprised by Richie being the second killer I was I was kind of disappointed I don't know why because he's a likable character yeah well I, well I mean it took me to be like wait there's no way he was in Modesto but I mean I guess they explain it like you know. Obviously, he was in correspondence with Amber, but I don't know. I yeah. was like, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like the way, like to be able to find her, seduce her, sleep with her, which he does reference. He's like, it wasn't hard to sleep with you either, since being a sexually available woman is supposed to be empowering these days. Fuck you. Now you're just quoting the original. <laughs> they have some really great moments. I have to say that Melissa Barrera's performance in this section in particular is why she's here. Oh, for sure. She kills this whole section. I love that moment when uh, Richie's like, had you convinced your sister was the next killer? And then when she's not there, she looks at him and she's like, you guess you're not as persuasive as you thought you were. Yeah. I love how she delivered that. It, it, it seemed really reminiscent of when Sydney says, I like that ending or whatever. And yes. So we have to get to the motive because the motive is really what kind of ties these movies together 
Um, the motive in this one is brilliant. I mean, the pop culture references are blended so nicely throughout, but especially in this presentation, um, these movies, they always deconstruct the genre and make us look at it from the inside out. Yeah. But this one is particularly clever in its deconstruction. Again, literally talking to us. It is like a, a full-on critique about fandom and, you know, it's like Richie and Amber yeah. are like the worst versions of who we are. Yeah. They're the people that went and saw this movie and said it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the people who said the movie was bad because Sydney wasn't the main focus. That's exactly it. It's the people that said that the movie was bad because it's not fucking Scream 1 through 4. Yeah, exactly. It's like, come on. Thank God this movie was a success because I want to see this franchise live on. No matter who's the killer, no matter who's the star. Yeah. I just want, I just need the mask, honestly, is the only, (laughs) and the voice. I just need those two things to make a Scream movie happen. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm happy. And I'll, the fact that this movie obviously took so much care into appeasing Mm. the fans. The motive, it's, it's extremely appropriate. Yeah. It, it, it is so appropriate. I think it's really clever and really fun. At first I was like, oh, interesting. But the more I thought about it afterwards and the more I kind of, in the after the like, second and third time I saw the movie, I was like, you know what? I really do like this motive. And I like that they're like, well, Hollywood's out of ideas. They're like, you know, and then they're obviously, mm-hmm. you know, making these ridiculous sequels now. And um, the best way to, you know, to help this is to create a story of on, on our own. It's like taking it into their own hands. Well, because that's what these requels are. They're yeah. totally controlled by the fans. They they take the things that fans over the years have highlighted and they put them in a movie right. and they wink at the audience. This is doing what Halloween Kills thought it was doing. Right, exactly. This is what Halloween thought, Kills thought it was doing, but does it well. Whereas Halloween Kills was like, hey, I think I said, I said I think I said this to you after we watched it. It was like that. Hey, look, and remember Michael Myers ate a dog? There's the dog. There's the dog. And you're like, okay. It's great. It's a nice full circle moment for this commentary too. It's like it all ties together. Like this is exactly what it said it was going to be from the moment that they named the movie Scream. This is glorified fan fiction at the end of the day without Wes or Kevin involved, you know, in the director or the writing chair. It's like, that's what this is. And this is what we're going to have to get used to going on. It, it almost kind of like is a critique of that. It's like, look, if you want these movies to go on, you know, you got to be okay with that, with with the franchise taking a new turn or or um, something. Like, I don't know. So I think the meta aspects here are are really brilliant, and I really appreciate it. And it felt like a little fun jab at people who are like us, because he's like, you know, they're how can fandom be toxic it's about love and i was like that's (laughs) hilarious yeah but i've seen a lot of people like bashing this movie who are scream fans like this movie didn't live up to what standard yours you don't make these movies you just watch them so that's when it gets a little toxic yeah no absolutely yeah you're right um amber's fried ass coming out at the end (laughs) i thought was for sure a chucky reference (laughs) when he runs out of the fireplace with his knife the Bride of Chucky. I was like, this bitch is Chucky. Or Bride of Chucky when she's all burnt up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's all yeah. blown up. Um, I love this, like, moment of Sydney and Gail. Kind of, it's the first time that they've, you know, because they are kind of secondary in this film, right? Like, mm-hmm. the return of Gail and Sydney. They're not 
they are like kind of not the main focus of this film. So I do think it's interesting, first of all, that the female killer is not the the primary killer. I would say that Richie kind of yeah. takes that. He's the one that explains the motive more. She does a little bit, but I feel like she's the secondary killer. Yeah. She's like the accomplice. She is, but I feel like she's pulled off most of the murder. She has. She's killed more people, but so did Charlie. That's true. That's you know? true. Yeah, Richie does seem sort of the brain of the operation. They're the muscle and the other killer is like the brains behind it. Amber was pretty vital also in bringing this together. I mean, she lives in the house. Yeah. And Tara is her best friend. Yeah. So she really was instrumental. So she, even though she's not the primary killer, she feels just as important because she had all the tools he needed to pull this off. Of course. That's true. I'm not, yeah, I'm not taking away from Amber at all. But no, I, you are. I, 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 <laughs> but I would just consider. I, I don't know. In my mind, I think of her as like the accomplice killer. And so to see yeah. Duke, or Sydney and Gail take on the the secondary killer is like really fun. Um, you know, they have a big old knockout fight. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, it is nice to see that Gail gets a little justice by getting to blow her ass away. Uh, but yeah, they have a, I love their fight. I think it's so good. When See, they throw her across that table. Yeah, so good. When Courtney punches her in the face. Oh my God, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> She's like, if he died like a pussy, it just decks her right in the face. I was like, yes, Courtney. It's so good. And I love this thing that Mikey Madison did. I mean, I guess I was written this way, but the way she pulls it off is funny. When she's like, no, please, please, please. I was m- manipulating. Oh, I was. Yeah. I, I just wanted to be a part of something. And then I, she goes, yeah, and he died like a pussy. And then when they, and then when they're about to shoot her, and she's like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this back and forth thing. She's so unstable. Yeah, it is the first time that we've seen a killer who like tries to manipulate them with like. Oh, I, I, you know, just, I mean, I guess peer pressure. Peer pressure. Yeah. yeah. So I guess maybe it's not the first time, but it is like interesting to try to manipulate them with like, oh, I'm just a dumb kid. But they're not buying it. They're not buying any of her mm. performance. They haven't bought it since the second that bitch ran out it's the door. Like she stepped out. How me he stopped me. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what do you I'm think? Drowning. <laughs> I'm drowning. I'm dying. Like, that's a trap. <laughs> Oh my god, and I think that this is probably one of the best moments of this movie, is when Miss Sam turns on Richie and fucking stabs him to death. It was so good, because, I mean, she's a part of the story. She's she's Billy Loomis's daughter, and he's helped her find this knife. (laughs) I know. And um, she grabs it, and she just starts going to fucking town. Yeah, I mean, I think this is what we've been waiting for the entire movie. Like, what... Okay, so she's Billy Loomis's daughter. What does that mean? So then to see this, it's like, oh, okay, so it's in her blood to be fucking vicious and we've been waiting the entire time to see her just go ham on somebody and she does she and she fucks richie up she stabs it just won't end it's just yeah (laughs) she just it's like 30 seconds of her oh yeah and she's just making swiss cheese and like and then you know that final moment when he's like what about my ending or whatever and then she's like here's your ending and then she could go for I, th- I was like okay she's gonna go for one last stab nope that bitch said I'm gonna slit your throat which is like I make you choke on your blood yeah like that <laughs> that is like a vicious serial killer thing so you know she has 
She has it in her. She yeah. She has those serial killer tendencies. She's an an- she's on antipsychotics, obviously. I think I like this too because because like we talked about her performance is a little light in the beginning mm-hmm. and to switch over to this the juxtaposition is so shocking how brutal it is and she's being splattered in blood so I really enjoyed her in this moment yeah. I thought this was the highlight of her performance for sure and then when Sydney and Gail walk up and they're like be careful he can you know they always come back she just grabs that gun and it's like bah, 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 bah. she's like i'm not wasting any time i have no remorse yeah i'm not somebody who's she's not like like sadly walking up or scared she's like boom 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 he's not fucking yeah. coming back shoulder chest chin yeah. right through the head his brain splatter out yeah she said, I don't give a fuck. It's nice because then Tara gets to finish off Amber. Oh, somebody yeah. She thought she was, I know. She, somebody she, she thought was her friend. Yeah, she did beat her ass with the with the crutches earlier, which was really fun. That's true. I was yeah. like, wow. That everyone, cr- everyone got a swing at Amber. <laughs> By the time we get to the end of this, the biggest thing that I, that I noticed was that all the characters of color survived. Oh, that is true. Yeah. You know, the white cast is completely wiped out. And now we have some really strong characters played by black and Latinx actors. And I'm here for it. Yeah. And also Jasmine being a lesbian, both on and off screen. So I was excited when Melissa and Jenna would were announced that they'd be playing sisters in this. And um, I was really excited when they showed Jasmine's character poster with her rainbow pin. Her pride pin. I'm like... Those are my people. So the representation is nice because the horror fandom is a mixed bag. And there are a lot of black and Latinx and gay fans, ourselves included, yeah. that are going to feel represented and excited for where this franchise is going with these characters. I know. Exactly. And now they get to live on. I know. I did kind of roll my eyes that both of them were alive. But do you know what? Putting it like that, I'm like, do you know what? Honestly, great. Yeah. I love that. It's great. I it's love great. That. Yeah. And then we get... um. A little conclusion with Sydney and Gail, who don't look like they've been in any sort of struggle. Beautiful. Oh no! Oh my God! Nev's glittery eyeshadow looks great. Like, <laughs> and they're just sitting there as if they just had a cocktail. And every single one of these bitches have either been stabbed or shot in the stomach. Every single <laughs> yeah. one of them. Like mm-hmm, Sydney, mm-hmm. Ga- Sydney was stabbed. Gail was shot. And Sam was stabbed in the stomach. And they're just like, no big deal. And Sydney's like, I'm going to go home to my kids. Gail's like, I'm not writing about this, but I will write a book about Dewey. I don't think that we're ever going to see these characters in this franchise again. If we do, it would be very brief. I don't think so. And I don't think we should. Like, let them be. Let them be. I love them. I love these characters. Let them be. Let them fucking live their life. They, they are a part of this franchise. They're part of the reason why it's successful. They're part of the reasons why we love it. Yes. But I am ready for the next phase in this franchise. This I have to give props to this franchise for being so consistent throughout the years. This is the most consistent franchise in horror. Yeah. But it is time to it's move time. on. It's time. Leave them be. Let Sydney live with Mark Kincaid and her and her kids and let Gail be the host of the Today Show. Just let them be. I think this is a nice send off. They've passed the torch and I don't I don't expect or need them to be in the next one. Agreed. Agreed. Let them be. I love you both. Mwah. I love yes, you, Dewey. Yes. Love you, Miss Judy. Mwah. But let's Miss Judy, yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on and let's get this new cast 
um, another movie. I know Radio Silence said that they want their next project to be Scream 6. I think based on the fact that this was a critical and commercial success, that we are going to get more Scream movies, which I'm excited about. Oh God, I really hope so. I really hope so. With black and Latinx actors and characters leading the way into the future. So excited. Yes. Love it. Love it. All right. Final thoughts. My final thoughts are that this movie is a great addition to this franchise. I absolutely love it. I would rank Mm -hmm. it at three but it is really fucking great i think it's really clever every time i've written a note about it or i've watched it three times now written the synopsis same i I just it's growing on me more and more and i'm loving it more and more and um it really takes at least three watches to really appreciate what it's done it ranks up with scream one and two for me and i really enjoyed it I'm happy with this and I would give it a four out of five. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love this. I think it's clever. I love the the cast. Yeah, there are some things that we laughed at and nitpicked and inconsistencies with, you know, the previous films and Woodsboro and the stab movies and whatever. You know, it's it, that's that's stuff for us to laugh about, you know. Woodsboro. But overall, <laughs> I'm so happy that this movie is getting the praise that it's getting and that people are going out to see it it's that to me is a success in itself for this movie as part of the fandom this movie does mean so much to me in these movies as a uh, all for all of them now five of them this one included means so much to me they are part of who i am they're my favorite movies and so no matter what no matter what little nitpicky things we can say i still love it so yeah this is a sure a four out of five again i said this with the other ones in the grand scheme of things five out of five these are my favorite movies and um i'm so excited to see what's next give me another one now (laughs) but what's next for us well we're headed on over to elm street because next week we are doing a nightmare (laughs) on elm street yes i don't know if you've ever heard of it (laughs) yeah it's a little movie that was from the 80s (laughs) yeah (laughs) now we're getting back to some wes don't forget to follow us on social media yes find us on instagram at fear the talking queers uh don't forget to rate us five stars on apple on apple Podcasts and spotify spotify yes yeah and we don't have a website anymore but you can find um all of our links how to support us how to um find our spotify playlist and all the fun little things that we do at flowpage.com slash fear the talking queers so and now that we got that all out of the way thank you again for returning to season four with us we're excited for this journey we were so excited to get back to doing this we were literally texting each other we're like i'm so excited so we have a really interesting lineup this uh season so i'm really excited to get to it but until then sweet screams bitch bye